0: Hey folks, this is Seinfeld and Sports with Jared and Austin. We have a lot of action for you today. Talking college basketball once again, all the way across the country. Talking a little off season baseball as well as this weekend in Indianapolis, the NFL Combine. Austin, how you doing today?
1: Doing pretty good, man. It's uh it's been a long week, but uh it's been a good week in college basketball, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, it has. Uh another number one team in the country falls. finally Villanova Falls one of their first you know it's one of their first losses here in quite some time. They have a magnificent resume and they lost to a tremendous team Xavier on the road. I would honestly have had Xavier favored in that game and Xavier it was close for a while but you could just tell they really dominated the the tempo. Um, they dominated the game in several facets and really pulled away at the end we're just going to take a little gander here at some of the conferences and just just you know we're three or four games remaining some of these smaller conferences like the big south tomorrow's the last day and there's ties and only one or two games separating the top three or four teams nally what do you think about that
1: uh i just i like it it's uh it's different for uh For a lot of us growing up, you always have those teams that seem to be dominant every year and just seem to be in the top of conference every year. And especially being here, you know, Gardner-Webb is usually high point every year. And, yeah, they're near the top, but there seems to be different teams that are making their mark, just just talking about Big South alone. So, like, there's other conferences that this kind of shift in teams is beginning to happen with. Oklahoma was kind of – has been – not really irrelevant, but they haven't been to the elite status, and now they're becoming an elite status in Big 12, which the entire Big 12 seems to be elite status. So it's just a it's a nice little shift. Yeah,
0: and if you want to look at the past 10 years, you see one consistency at the top of their conference, and that's Kansas. And I think it's the 13th or 14th straight year they're going to win it. They're the only in the Power 5 conferences, and then you add in Big East, they're the only team that has more than a one game lead except for I think IU maybe jumped up to a let's see here yeah IU jumped up to a game and a half lead with their win over Illinois last night you know IU past 10 years they really haven't been that dominant they haven't been winning Big Ten championships Duke has not won as many as you would think but regular season I think they have two in the past 7 or 8 years Virginia's won the past two ACC championships regular season you know and then you look at the ACC and they're not in the top 3 you look at the ACC, North Carolina 12-3, Miami 11-4, Louisville 11-4. So you have tight there. I think North Carolina is continuing to be the dominant team, the top team in the ACC. Obviously, Miami's playing well. Duke's coming on. And Louisville, they are going to be absent from the conference tournament, I believe, as well as the NCAA tournament. So who, who do you have coming out of the ACC regular season champs?
1: Regular season champs. I'm gonna have to go with Carolina. Although being a Duke fan, I just think that it's gonna be hard to beat Carolina twice. Um, even though they'll be at home the next time, they play, even though they'll be in Cameron, but I'm gonna have to go with Carolina. Um, I think if Duke can knock off Carolina, then that gives Miami that chance to go in there. But you know, UNC probably own, they own the tiebreaker. I'm pretty sure, so that would still give Carolina that win.
0: Yeah, North Carolina had miami down by over 30 points at one point in time last last saturday and i was coming off carolina's home loss to duke um i think we can both agree on that i use pulling away in the big 10 their schedule's favorable they got to go to iowa still i was the rails are falling off maryland's struggling wouldn't be surprised if they get knocked off at purdue tomorrow but here comes michigan state they're not going to win the big 10 uh regular season championship but I think we can both agree that Big Ten tournament because the seeds are going to be so messed up. You know, teams like Purdue, Ohio State, Michigan, who can play with the best of them, are going to be lower seeds, and it's going to be that one will be a fun one to watch in Indianapolis in a couple weeks.
1: Yeah, I think it it'll be great, and I kind of you know we haven't went to the Big Twelve yet, but those two conferences it just seems like anybody could beat anybody on any given day, and that's what makes the conference tournaments fun because those teams that are, like you say, near the bottom or on the bubble, they have that chance just to to win and win that conference tournament and get that automatic seed so they don't have to worry about being on the bubble. And so that fun that comes along with that and that excitement is what makes the conference tournament what it is.
0: Yeah, and honestly, if you take out in the Big 12, there's 10 teams. So if you take out, um, let's see, Oklahoma State and Kansas, Kansas State, is it? Yeah, TCU, yeah. TCU, Kansas State can play with them. I mean, you know, Bruce Weber's got them playing pretty decent. They can, pl- they can. You know, I'm not going to say they're going to knock off Kansas in the in the Big 12 tournament. They can play with them. Texas Tech and Baylor and Texas and all them right there. You know, in the middle of the pack. The Big 12 tournament, you're right? It's going to be phenomenal. I think every game you're going to be on the edge of your seat. There's no gimmies, no gimmies. Um, do you think anybody can dethrone Kentucky? I'm talking SEC regular season champion, or in the SEC tournament, it looks like Kentucky is probably the team to beat in SEC.
1: Yeah, um, I don't. I think regular season, I think they got it locked up. Um, but possibly in the conference tournament, I could see Texas A&M. Um, Texas A&M is not a bad team, but Kentucky's better. But we've both watched Texas A&M beat Kentucky, although it was at home. But I think with them being on that neutral court playing in SEC. T- uh, tournament, conference tournament, I think Texas a and has the best chance to knock off Kentucky.
0: Yeah, and you want to talk about um, Kentucky there, that loss to Texas A&M. A lot of people are saying, well, Texas A&M's they're made for the tournament. Well, okay, we'll see. <laughs> LSU is not going to make the tournament. South Carolina had an easy non-conference schedule. They're a tournament team, but they're a 8-9-10 seed. is the team to beat in the SEC I think they'll get it done I think them and Kansas are two of the surest things you know I, I use probably gonna win the Big Ten a lot of people thought Arizona was gonna pull away in the Pac-12 they fall at Colorado on the road here comes Utah Utah now 11 and 5 Oregon 11 and 4 and Arizona 10 and 5 so Oregon has a half game lead over Utah and a one game lead over Arizona People have rode Oregon high all season, but you never really, you know, they're not on TV a lot, so they're tough to catch here in the East Coast, um, especially if you don't want to stay up late and or listen to Bill Walton because who wants to listen to Bill Walton on ESPN? <laughs> but, you know, who – is there a team out of the – you know, Arizona right now is ranked in the top ten. I think they're ninth, and I think they play Utah tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken, and Utah's 22nd. Utah was in the top ten at one time when they took down Duke. I mean, Utah is a good basketball club. Is there a team in the Pac-12 that you think you know we're going to get to our 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 four locks for Sweet 16 picks? Is there a team out of the Pac-12 that can make a deep deep NCAA tournament run?
1: Um, I'm going to say Oregon. Um, I don't know if it was Joe Lenardi, but it was someone's bracketology based on Joe Lenardi's projections, and they had Oregon going in in the. In the side that they had them, I could see where Oregon matches up well with many teams, against many teams. Now, obviously, if they find a matchup that's not good for them, then they could get out early. But I think they're a team that can make a deep run from the Pac-12. I really do. I think that their inside game is really good. I watched them play, and they just play hard. And I think that they've proved that they can topple that Arizona reign because Arizona seems to just win it every year. Um, you know, they used to be UCLA, and then it kind of shifted to Arizona, and it's been Arizona for a couple years, and now it's kind of to, you know, Oregon. Like you said, Utah is coming, or, coming up there, but I think Oregon would be the team I would pick.
0: You know, I'm glad you mentioned UCLA. They made that Sweet 16 run last year as an 11 seed, I believe. They get into the tournament. They're going to be dangerous. Uh, Bryce Alford, dangerous shooter. But I think it's Utah's time to shine. We'll see what kind of seed they get, five or six maybe even just a seven. I think Utah can make a little bit of a run. It's really, you know, the the Pac-12 is a, is a tough, like I said, we just don't get to see them play on TV a lot. Tough conference to dissect when you live on the East Coast. All right, Nally, give me, you know, my list is four teams that at this current moment don't have a number one seed. Give me four teams you think were one week from some conference tournaments, two weeks from some conference tournaments, we are two weeks and two days, 16 days from the NCAA selection show. Four locks to reach the Sweet 16. Um,
1: I did, though, um, what you did, four teams without number one seed projections. I mean, maybe Xavier. Xavier's right there, out right there. But my four locks were Xavier, Indiana, Kentucky, and Duke. And uh, the outlook on Emil Jefferson coming back for Duke was really bleak. The past few months, but now it seems he's practicing, and Coach K is saying that he could possibly be back Carolina game. But if Emil Jefferson comes back, that gives them depth, and I think Duke would be a lot for the 16, and then Xavier, obviously, I don't really have to speak for them; they spoke for themselves. And Indiana, like they just seem to be on a tear right now, and um, Kentucky, like we, like I said, I, they're just they're always talented. Calipari is a great coach; he'll have them ready. I mean, and their, their size and their athleticism is probably one of the best it's just they have to play together and um i think that those are those are my four locks for the sweet 16.
0: yeah i'm gonna have to agree with you xavier i mean xavier and duke both um and then i have michigan state and purdue and first off i want to i was looking at lenardi's most recent bracket he has iu and kentucky in the same bracket which i think is ludicrous he also has iu playing valpo which is two in-state teams in the first round. And I, I can't pick against Valpo right now. I think that a tw- there's a 12-5 upset every single year, and you have to pick Valpo as that upset this year. I'm telling you, folks, you got to do it. They almost knocked off Maryland last year, I believe, as a 13 seed. But you're, about, you're right about both IU and Kentucky, two dominant teams. I think IU, blessing in disguise when they lost James Blackman Jr. Okay, Xavier, I mean, let's be honest, folks. They're downright dirty. They only have three losses on the season. Two losses in conference play, I believe. Um, two or three. Uh, yeah, three, I think. All three, time. yeah. They were undefeated going into conference. I think Georgetown loss, Creighton loss, Both of them on the road. Got blown out by Villanova on the road. Early. It was the first game of the conference season. Um, but way back in 2015, folks, we're almost to the end of the second month in 2016. Xavier dominated Villanova in every facet of the game. Pulled away at the end. If you want a team lock into the Sweet 16 in your bracket, pick Xavier. Also, Duke. You know, you're talking about Mill Jefferson back. I don't need Mill Jefferson back. Coach K has – he's changed something. They have played with so much more energy, and their perimeter defense and their ha- – I mean, just the defense, especially on the perimeter, has really increased. Plumlee is playing out of his mind. If he can keep that going and Allen can keep scoring at the pace – and they can get contributions like they did last night. Chase Jeter, phenomenal game last night. In the minutes that he played, they're going to be a tough team to beat in this NCAA tournament. They're a lock for me in the Sweet 16, along with Michigan State. They're, this team's rolling. Uh, right now I think Lenardi has them playing most likely playing a Providence-type team in the second round, which I believe they beat earlier this season, maybe even in overtime. I really like Michigan State. Always liked Denzel Valentine, Tom Izzo. It's March, folks. Izzo and March. You better watch out for Sparty. They're a lock for the Sweet 16. Also, Purdue, I think if unless something the rails really fall off here and they fall to a six or seven line seed, just if they're they're a four or five and they're playing somebody at their level or below them, they're not going to lose. They haven't all season. They've only lost to one bad one bad loss the entire season. And that's Illinois on the road. And that's a tough environment to play in. And everyone has an off night. You know, they have a loss at Michigan. Well, Michigan's a good ball club, and so is Butler, which they lost to on a neutral floor. They can knock off Maryland. That'll prove that they can beat a team better than them. They've had these lead, they had a lead, big lead against Iowa. They played tight with IU at times and really came back and showed resilience, much like they did against Butler. Purdue can beat anybody in the country, but they've proven time and time again they're not going to lose to a team about on the same level as them. So that's my four locks, Xavier, Duke, Michigan State, and Purdue. And we want to talk a little bit briefly here about the Big South. Big game last night on ESPNU, Winthrop and High Point. High Point gets revenge, takes down Winthrop. We now have a three-way tie atop the Big South standings with one game remaining for 10 teams. At this moment, I cannot think of the team that's off tomorrow. I think it may be Presbyterian or Longwood, the two bottom teams. They battled last night, Uh, I think Longwood, Took down Presbyterian with a buzzer beater. High point, Winthrop, Asheville, all 12 and 5, one game remaining. Gardner Webb, I believe they're sitting, they're sitting in fifth. If they can beat Liberty tomorrow, they're going to get a bye likely to place Coastal Carolina. Loss likely means they'll be the sixth seed playing Longwood at the bottom um, with the in the first round with the top seed that doesn't have a bye. So who do you think? Who do you think claims the claims the regular season title? Do you think we'll have a tie? I don't know the exact matchups tomorrow. And where do you think Gardner Webb, how do they position themselves and what are their chances to make a run to semifinal or the finals in the Big South tournament next weekend in at Campbell University? One team I don't think you want to play is the Camels.
1: I think uh I'm gonna have to go with high point just because they have John Brown. Um he's the best player in the conference. Um even on his bad nights, he still averages 20 points a game, and it's just, um, you can't count them out, they were a preseason favorite, they seemed to struggle a little bit in the middle there, and Winthrop took it, but then they showed last night that they beat Winthrop, and so I still think that I'd have to go with high point, Um, I'm not, like you said, I'm not sure about the tiebreakers and everything, and the matchups, and who would win what if they were tied in the conference play, but I think Gardner-Webb can challenge, and I think that you know, I, first I thought maybe they should, maybe it'd be a good thing if they lost, it'd be a blessing, so they would play, um, they'd have better matchups. But I think just playing one less game in the tournament would mean a lot. It would mean a lot for you know energy, mean a lot for morale to get that higher seed, to get to come on, come in on after a win for the final game of the season. So I think those factors play into it. and I think that they can make a run, especially if they win, it'll, it'll give them a better chance in the tournament.
0: Yeah, and I think you're right. John Brown's playing at a high level here, as the conference season winds down. They'll win tomorrow, grab the one seed. Whatever it doesn't matter. Going to the conference tournament, I think you're right about Gardner Webb. They need that buy. It's you know you that means a win tomorrow, meaning you're riding in high, and it means an extra day of rest. And if you like last year, I mean they're playing their third game, third game in four four days. I think it was, yeah, they played Wednesday, I believe, and then they played Friday and Saturday. And I think they can beat Coastal. If they play like they're capable, they can beat Coastal. And I don't really think it matters who they play. I think they they match up well with high point. Already took them down once, played them tight at home um, in a loss. They won at high point, which is hard to do. And then when it comes to Winthrop, Winthrop really put a, put a number on Gardner-Webb, um, and that was here in Boiling Springs. But... I think Gardner-Webb, the way they've been scoring the basketball lately, I mean, they're going to need to do that to win the conference tournament anyways. And if they can do that, they can hang in there with Winthrop. And they've been playing better defense. I mean, LaQuincy Rideau, he may turn the ball over a lot, but when he gets in the game, he gives high energy. um, Him and Roboteau, both. High energy, they create steals, uh, they force turnovers. Guard play has really stepped up for Gardner-Webb outside of McBride. And I really like the transition. I think Coach Kraft really found it. Burbage starting in the lineup. Him and Poston getting going, bringing in Ivy off the bench, and Ivy's been on fire the past couple games. So we'll see. First of all, they need to take down Liberty tomorrow. We're going to transition to two sports in their offseason. Let's talk a little NFL Combine in Indianapolis this weekend. What team do you really think cannot afford to miss their guy at the Combine this weekend that they absolutely need to pinpoint and draft correctly? in the draft in late April, early May?
1: I struggle with this one because I think there's a lot of teams with a lot of needs. But there's a team that I think people should watch out for just because of, I think, a little bit, maybe a decrease in talent in some of the teams around in their same division. I'm going with the Raiders. And I think that they are easily a, a favorite to contend for the division in the AFC West. And I, think, I really think they're just a couple pieces away from being – you know, one of the top teams in the AFC, you know, they got Derek Carr who's playing, playing well. He's a young quarterback and they've, their running back was Latavius Murray. He's playing well, offensively playing well. You know, they got one of the best linebackers in the league in Khalil Mack, you know, and I just think that if they could just maybe add someone in the secondary, losing Charles Woodson hurts, but adding maybe a player in the secondary, but just if they find that right guy, I think they could compete for the AFC West and maybe the AFC. I I don't want to go that far, but I think they're a team that's on the rise.
0: Yeah, and I went with three different teams here, one that's a piece away of Super Bowl contention, one that's a piece away of, like you said, contending, and another one a piece away to really taking that next step, a, kind of a lower team. First off, I'm going to start with the Colts, 8-8 uh, eight and eight last season. Can't look at that record and say anything with the way they played with their backup quarterback, hurt Hurt backup quarterbacks. The starting quarterback was hurt when he was in there, Um they had a great draft when they took Luck, Hilton, Kobe Fleener, a lot of players. You know, and their their free agency is just as big as the draft, I think, this year. Um, but they have to, whether it's the pass rush or an offensive lineman, whatever that first pick's gonna be, Ryan Grixon has to pick the right player. If he doesn't, one, he's gonna lose his job, even though he signed a contract, he's gonna lose his job. And two, the Colts are gonna be nine and seven, tenant their same old, same old crap since Luck's been there. I also went with Oakland. I think you're completely right, and they've done the same thing Indianapolis did when they went with Luck. Blah blah blah. They had a great, they had two or three great drafts in a row. They got to keep that going, <laughs> and they, you know, they had the change of a little bit of change of ownership, uh, Art Davis when he died a couple of years ago, and they they seem to be heading in the right direction. You know, we don't know what's going to happen with them yet as far as staying in Oakland, but for right now, they got a one year contract to stay in Oakland. I think with an option to stay another year. I don't think the fans are going to let them leave if they keep playing. And I think you're right. Secondary, somewhere in the defense, they got to figure out how to stop the passing game a little bit more. They're one piece away from definitely winning that division. And two, probably competing in the AFC, especially with some other teams like the Broncos, you know, really going to come down. I also went with Tennessee. I think they have to find somebody to protect Mariota. um, Or protect Mariota. And if they can do that, well, then they're going to be – he showed glimpses of a lot of good things. They also got to add an offensive weapon. But, you know, Combine's big. And they say, you know, the 40 doesn't matter. There's interviews. There's all kinds of things. You know, I think I think Andrew Luck. I mean, I don't think the Colts made a decision on him or RG3 until that interview, until some things and how he presented himself at media day and stuff at the Combine. Uh, he sold himself well, and, and we'll see. And there's a lot of good offensive linemen in this draft, and there's a lot of teams that need offensive linemen. Like the Colts, but there's a lot of team ahead of them. So you got to find your guy and you got to go with them or make the necessary move to get them. Okay. Baseball. Spring training is here. They're going to start some games up next week. Who do you think made the best offseason moves? You know, and I, I wrote down a couple, several teams that made several moves. There's some teams that come to mind, like the St. Louis Cardinals, though, that did absolutely nothing. And people are wondering, you know, their fans are like, we're going to be fine. We get the best farm system, blah, 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 blah. Some people wondering how in the heck they're going to compete in the NL Central with the Cubs. The Brewers have a great farm system now. And also uh, Pittsburgh. Obviously Cincinnati is going to be abysmal this year, probably awful. But what are some teams that really vamp themselves up that were either right on the cusp of last year or even a playoff team that you think can make a run this year?
1: I think, um, you know, we say this every year. And they, like you said, they were your World Series pick last year. They're your NL champions last year, but I think the Nationals. I mean, especially you know, they added Dusty Baker, you know, and I just think their lineup is deadly. And um, I think that with them playing in a conference where you know the Phillies and the Braves are going to be weak again, and you know they're obviously they'll they'll play spoiler and they'll try to you know just get them the give them some bad losses. But, you know, you have the Mets and the Nationals. And I think that, you know, the Mets are going to go down a little bit. But I think that Nashville's made a great move. But I think a little bit better was your Cubbies. I think, you know, Hayward. And I think the signing of Dexter Fowler is bigger than I think anyone thinks. Like, no, anyone considers because they were going to lose him. But now they gained him. And I think having him and Hayward and, uh, is it Schwarber? In the outfield? Is that who's going to be the starter? Yeah, and, and now they have Jorge Soler
0: coming off the bench. Yeah. I mean, are you serious, folks? Come on. I mean, the Cubs, I, I think you're right. They made two great moves and they took Zobrist away from the Mets, who wanted them, and Hayward away from the Cardinals. They re signed Fowler, who the Orioles want to get. I mean, they're, especially the Cardinals and the Mets, they took two players away and just grabbed onto them, and they're going to run with them. And I think you made an excellent point with Dusty Baker coming to the Nationals. You know, they didn't make a lot of other moves, but their players needed a change in morale. Their play I mean, besides Harper, they have some top talent that they wasn't producing last year. I know some injuries battled there and then some clubhouse issues towards the end there. Dusty Baker's a proven winner, and I think they're going to be right there at the top of the NL East. You know, we talked about this. We talked about the Diamondbacks. But another thing is is there was a lot of pitching changes David Price and Craig Kimbrell, both to the Red Sox. The Red Sox have pieces from last year that they moved in the past offseason, some trades that they've done. They're a team to watch out for. And then we've been talking about the Diamondbacks, I mean, over and over and over. I mean, this team's right there. They're definitely an 80-plus win ball club. What do you think about the D-backs?
1: Um, I think they've made the right moves. I mean, they they had to give away a little bit of young talent to gain, but they're in that win now. Attitude. I think you have to be in the NL West. I mean, Giants and Dodgers are there every year, you know. And so you kind of have to have a win now mentality to kind of boost the morale of your players, boost the morale of your fans, your city. And I think, I think mean, I think they're ready to compete. You know, Shelby Miller, he lost, tw- he lost at least, he lost. I think he lost 21 games last year, and he pitched. He was like, an, he was an ace. And on a, and on another on a team that has a good offense, he went He might win 21 games. And so they gained, you know, a great pitcher in Shelby Miller. They gained uh, another great pitcher. His name's escaping me right now. Well, in my opinion, with age,
0: with his age right now, the best pitcher in stinking baseball, other than maybe Clayton Kershaw, and that's Zach Greinke. Zach Greinke, You know, he's right around the age of 30. um, Just a dominant, I mean, probably one of the best seasons ever without winning a Cy Young in 2015. Arizona's going to be great. And you want to talk about pitching. Jeff Samarge and Johnny Cueto. They're two middle row. They need, it seems to me, they need to fit in the right culture and in the right atmosphere to have success. Them two, Matt Cain, and you can't forget about Mad Bum, Madison Bumgarner. The offense is going to be accelerated. It's an even year, 2016. Bruce Bochy wants four rings. The Giants, folks. A lot of people are going to be picking them to win the World Series. You know who I have in my NL Championship Series. We'll talk about that later. Speaking of baseball, though, Seinfeld. A lot of a lot of baseball in Seinfeld. You know, George works for the Yankees. We have Keith Hernandez shows up in several episodes. It's the off season of baseball in January. There were several, you know, fantasy camp type things. I don't know if you've seen this episode. There's an episode where. Kramer goes down to Florida, Orlando area, goes to a Yankees fancy camp, and he's pitching. I mean, he, you know, according to him, he's really bringing it that day. <laughs> and he, boom, he pops Joe Pepitona. And he, um, they get in a squirm on blah, 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 because blah, he was, you know, crowding the plate, blah. And he turned, Kramer turned around and pow oh, Mickey punches Mickey Mantle and he gets kicked out of the camp and blah, blah, blah. And it's just another example like we talked about last week where Kramer is just, he's just crazy. And he feels, but he really honestly, you can tell in the episode that he feels so bad about it, but just the way he acts, it's like, eh, whatever.
1: Yeah, I I haven't seen that episode, but I can see just from what I have seen that he's just, he's impulsive. He just acts the way, and he just acts, he does whatever he wants. Like he does. He does what he wants. He doesn't care what anybody else thinks about it. But like you said, I think he does have that sincere side where he's just like he's doesn't mean to do the things he does. Like, he doesn't mean them to be come off a negative way. But I mean he makes the sh- I think without him the show wouldn't be the same, obviously. Because he's that comedic relief and he just he adds to the story, adds to every episode.
0: Yeah, and you you're completely right. Next week I'll add some verbiage and get some specific quotes episode Joe DiMaggio. And again, it's Kramer really bringing on the scene the comedy part of that one. Till next week, folks, I'm Jared alongside Austin Alley. You've listened to Seinfeld and Sports right here on the WGWG page on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.